Welcome y'all to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Amber Fulmer. And I'm Dane Phillips. And I'm Joseph Bias. We want to thank y'all for listening. Obviously, uh, the amount of response that we've got, uh, we get our weekly emails, uh, the statistics, the actual amount of downloads and listens. And uh, to say, as Amber likes to say, it's a humbling experience. We're just incredibly appreciative that everyone's taking the time to listen uh, to the podcast and everybody's been very supportive. Please email us at directexaminationpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or you want to see specific guests come on the show. The response has been amazing. Uh, We want to continue to bring you on a weekly basis uh, guests that you want to hear from and address topics that you want discussed. So feel free to uh, reach out to us. Yeah, we've already gotten some guests based off of recommendations, and we think we're going to have some future from people who are listening just saying, hey, I think it'd be cool to have this person on. Or even people saying, hey, I have this information. Could I come on the podcast? Um, So we're really excited about that. Like Dane said, um, every week we've gotten more and more listeners, and we even have people coming back and listening to previous podcasts. And with our topic today, we believe that this is going to be a popular one, too, uh, for probably 50% of the people in the state. So, Amber, (laughs) (laughs) you want to introduce our guest? Well, our guest today is Vance Strickland. So, and I'm doing this intro because he's my boss and I consider him, and now you have the moniker, sorry, the godfather of alimony in South Carolina. You've got it. It's going to (laughs) stick. Vance is responsible for the creation of the alimony spreadsheets and the alimony update, which are circulated every year at the Hot Tips CLE, which he co-chairs through the South Carolina Bar. He has been a past president of the Lexington County Bar and the South Carolina Bar Family Law Section Council, where he's also a current member. He's also a member of the South Carolina Supreme Court Docket Task Force and is the chairperson for the South Carolina Bar Family Law Section Council's Subcommittee on Alimony. And he served for several years with the Lexington County Public Defender Board and is a longtime member of the South Carolina Association for Justice. He's received several Midlands Legal Elite Awards and has been recognized several times as a super lawyer. And he's a frequent speaker at continuing legal education. We call those CLE seminars on alimony, both for bar members and for the judiciary. So without further ado, Vance Strickland, everyone, again, godfather of alimony in South Carolina, here to make it interesting and sexy and hopefully tell you how you don't have to pay it. (laughs) Now, now Vance, I I will tell you, everybody doesn't get that intro. Amber said that she had to give you that intro for some reason. I don't know why she had to give her boss that intro, but for some reason she felt it was necessary. I, I am feeling the love. So I will tell you, I'm, 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 I'm saying I, I know where my that. checks are signed. <laughs> That's right. Well, Vance, you obviously started off or have this immense experience in alimony, but you started off kind of as a public defender. Um, how did you get from juvenile public defender to the godfather of alimony? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I started out wanting to do criminal law. I went to law school thinking that I wanted to do criminal work. Uh, once I was in law school, I, I knew I needed experience, and I wanted to get experience in the courthouse. I wanted to get experience with real lawyers trying real cases. And so I started working for free, actually, for the public defender's office until they finally got a grant where I could be paid as a law clerk. And the place they needed me was representing juveniles. So I worked with kids. I had clients that were sometimes as young as 12 years old. Uh, had some that were charged with serious crimes, some that were charged with things that were minor. And thoroughly enjoyed my time working with all the fantastic lawyers that do that type of work. It really is a calling and a passion. And I, I loved working there. 
And so uh, my first job out of law school was uh, as a lawyer representing juveniles. And I did that. And uh, back in the day, um, they're not paid great now, but they certainly weren't paid well then. Uh, I wanted to get married, wanted to have kids, and was uh, working in family court representing juveniles. So all my connections were with family court lawyers and family court judges. And I can uh, give a shout out to Ashlyn Potterfield. Ashlyn was my boss at the public defender's office. She left to go work for Harvey Gold. A lot of you guys probably don't know who that is, but he was the first guy or one of the first guys to make a living doing primarily family court work in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> Harvey passed away years ago, but Ashlyn was working with him. And uh, so one of the attorneys that he worked with was my mentor, Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor is probably one of the best lawyers uh, that the state has ever seen. He's just a fantastic writer, um, terrific in the courtroom. And so Mark was just inundated with work and was trying to figure out what to do. And so he mentions it to Harvey one day while they're uh, working on a case. Ashlyn uh, Potterfield hears this and says, you, you just need to go hire Van Strickland and it'll solve all your problems. And so um, I, uh, I never was looking for a job, um, but uh, Mark came along. He did a little bit of research, asked some family court judges about me, and it went from meeting for a short discussion to coming over to the law firm and starting to work with him, kind of work following him around for a little while, but uh, quickly jumped into all family court all the time. And so that's how I ended up in the family court world. There's nothing better than that, having somebody vouch for you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I told you guys I was on a phone call right before I came down here. It was Ashton Potterfield. And I guess maybe the one thing, I know it's one of the questions you ask at the end, is what would, I, what would I say to any young lawyer? You know, this business is really filled with a lot of good people. And when you find those good people, stay friends with them. You know, mm-hmm. you can battle in the courtroom. You can have knockdown drag outs in the courtroom. But there is nothing better than having folks you can pick up the phone and call, you know, to either ask for advice on cases or if you've got another case against them, you know, maybe you can help put out the fire, not stoke it. And uh, it's It's been... Terrific. You know, she was a terrific boss when we were both very young lawyers. I say boss, we're probably two years apart and not sure either one of us knew exactly what we were doing. Um, but now, you know, we, we both spend a lot of time in this area and it's, it's good to have a friend like her. Well, that's great. So with that transition going kind of not, not, not thrown to the wolves or thrown in the deep end, but I'd imagine coming into somebody that has a very heavy caseload, uh, that mentorship being thrusted right into family court. How, how was that like as a young lawyer? It, it, it was a crazy transition. I went to work one day at the public defender's office. The very next day I came to work here. Um, we were in court Thursday in Lexington County. I can still remember the case on a temporary hearing, finished that hearing, and then immediately worked the next three days to start the McElveen versus McElveen trial on Monday. So I had not even been in private practice for five days. Wow. And I got to the second chair on one of these seminal cases on the issue of alimony. And uh, once again, a little bit luck, um, but it has really turned into something that's interested me uh, for years. That case, I don't know if everybody knows about the McElveen case, but for the longest time, it was the um, highest reported alimony case in the state. I think it still might be. I have to go back and double check that. But um, McElveen versus McElveen. Uh, I can talk about it because it's reported. It's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, nobody sweat on the other end of this. Um, but uh, Dr. McElveen was ordered to um, pay alimony, and um, his wife did not work. She had fibromyalgia. He was an oncologist. 
and he had income in the $500,000 a year range. There was a lot of back and forth as to what the appropriate award was, and the court ultimately came down on $7,500 as the nominal award. And so, um, and that's per month. Yeah, seventy five hundred per month, <laughs> per month. Um, and that was twenty years ago, um, over over twenty years ago now. Wow! So, if you were to try to take it to today, I'm not sure it wouldn't be higher. Well, so that kind of leads me as somebody that's a criminal practitioner, and the other person who's and married. The yeah, you're, 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 you're married, also married, right? Looking, well, I'm married, but you're, I already know how to mitigate my circumstances. <laughs> Grasshopper learns. Dane is so, new. <laughs> what is the highest as of the current day? If that's seventy well, five hundred twenty years ago. Now this is not. Um, I don't. I don't know. This is not a reported case, but I understand the rumor mill. What, that, what, what that, do we got? Thirty nine thousand dollars a month oh, it, has stings. been ordered yeah. by a judge in this state. That's um, public defender salary a month, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, it's 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 real money. I mean, it's real money. It's important. That's one to, way. That's one way to describe thirty nine thousand. It's real money. <laughs> Well, Vance, how did you become so invested and indexed to alimony? I know I've heard the story, but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. And specifically for those, we have a lot of listeners that aren't um, attorneys that are actually just regular people and potential clients who call in and they're going, yeah, people with lives. People with lives. (laughs) What is alimony? So tell us about that. Sure. Alimony is the um, support incident to a marriage in order to mean the supportive spouse and the lifestyle to which he or she has grown accustomed to during the marriage. Um, so that's the, the, the legal definition. I will tell you, the goal is to try to, um, for most judges, in the case law is to try to meet the needs of the person who would need support after a divorce. Now, I think it is far more complicated than that simple statement. And I think that the, the court has perhaps underestimated the complexities of alimony. And it, it needs some more attention. Need some some time and attention. Um, there's a statute that sets forth alimony 20-3-130, and as part of that statute, there's 13 factors the court must look at in awarding alimony. Um, but once again, I think it's more complicated than just those factors. The reality is the law has there, there are multiple forms of alimony. Let's let me start there. Um, there's permanent periodic alimony, alimony paid on a monthly basis, um, and it, until Either party dies, the supported spouse remarries or cohabits with someone. Dane and there's dies a definition for that. Like, they're about back at the bar yeah. and say, Dane, buy your wife flowers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, there's my advice to you buy your wife flowers. I'm making a note real quick. And the, the preferred form of alimony, according to the court, is permanent periodic alimony. So it's the first form listed, but it's also been recognized by the appellate court as the preferred form of alimony. Right. Now, you also have rehabilitative alimony, which is intended to um, allow the supported spouse to maybe go back and finish her college degree or his college degree or to get certified so that they can make their own money. Um, there's also reimbursement alimony. So if one spouse put another spouse through school, you can be reimbursed for those expenses. And then there's lump sum alimony. I consider that kind of movie star alimony. But at the same time, I think it can be used creatively in certain cases where there's a reason to have lump sum awarded um, because the other forms may not be applicable. The statute also provides for any form of support that the court deems um, just and reasonable. Not quite the terms, but it's something along those lines. Um, the, the, the problem is you've got these forms of alimony, and you've got this standard that you're supposed to maintain the supported spouse 
the lifestyle he or she has grown accustomed to during the marriage. But most people take a step down when they go through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so some of the frustration that I have with the way it's set up is, one, the statute, I don't think, creates the preference for for periodic alimony, but the court has now created it. And um, secondarily, more often than not, it's very difficult in the average case. Now, when you're representing somebody whose income is, you know, uh, you know, a million dollars a year or more, maybe you can maintain the lifestyle. But if you're representing somebody who's making $100,000 and they're married to somebody making $40,000, if they divorce, everybody's about to take a drop. Right. And so you've got this standard that I think kind of competes with logic and reason and, and becomes a real challenge for folks. Well, since we're on logic and reason... And, and the very controversial. This is going to be great. Like This whole podcast is going to be great because I'm just going to watch your face and how you ask these questions. Yes. And this is obviously a very controversial topic, uh, especially if you were to go and ask a lay person who's not, uh, and even people who do not primarily practice in family court, uh, where do you think alimony is headed? I mean, where, where, you know, this is, that's the controversial issue that comes up is, is it time to terminate alimony? It, I mean, Obviously, as somebody who is this invested in alimony, that's a that's a hard hard ask. I'm I'm sure because that's something that that a lot of people have found appropriate and have been beneficial for them. Well, I would say this. I, I think um, as our society changes, we have to change. I think there's sometimes a fear of change, but I would point out you can't get better if you don't change. And so we need to change as it is required. Um, and other states have started looking at their alimony laws, and they've started changing them. They've started taking a look at them. And I think it's important, and South Carolina has done that, okay? The, the South Carolina Bar, the Family Law Section Council, has, has looked at it. Um, there are groups out there, private groups, that are that are mobilizing to form these grassroots efforts to, um, you know, try to get the legislature to change yeah, the alimony. the billboards. The billboards. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's um, you know, it, it's usually the folks that are paying alimony that are mobilizing. I can imagine. <laughs> if you're paying $39,000 a month, I'd have a billboard. Or even better, yeah. If you could afford the billboard, spend the money on the billboard, so the alimony. So, you know, you do have these folks that are looking out there to change it. And right. you've got, your, you've got the, the, the committee at the bar who's looking at it. Uh, it's very difficult because, obviously, people see things through different lenses. But states like Massachusetts were able to go through and successfully you know, take a look and overhaul uh, their alimony law. You know, South Carolina hopefully will at some point take a look at the alimony um, statute. And, you know, I think there needs to be some adjustments. You know, one idea is just adding a couple more forms of alimony and maybe removing the preference and, and let the court decide, um, you know, the family court, family court judges decide what is the more appropriate alimony for each case, you know. Right. Um, you could add something called general term alimony, which would be for a fixed period of time. Um, you know, a lot of folks think that this would do away with alimony. I, I actually think it might actually cause more alimony cases, but it might be more appropriate. You know, when you tell somebody you have to pay alimony forever, it frightens them. That's a hard pill to swallow. And, and you know, yeah. and, and some people refer to it as a life <laughs> sentence. You know? Right. And so might be it, why you don't want to get married in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think we have to bear some responsibility. People are waiting longer to get married. Um, the marriage rates are going down. You know, what part of that is what we do as a profession? You know, knowing what I know would make me, you know, very cautious about wading into uh, the wedding wars. You know, and 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 Pretty we really, 
No, I got you. Prenup. I'm yeah, right now. We can hook you up with right, prenup. Prenup. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's, I mean, when you hear these horror stories about divorce and you hear these people paying these sums of alimony and it's, you know, frightening, you know, if you're 20 something years old and hearing these stories, maybe you are, whoa, or they saw mom and dad go through an ugly divorce and create right. financial turmoil and hardship. Maybe, you know, maybe there is something to it, but you could create like a general term alimony. So the court would have the authority to say, let's say it's a 10 year marriage. We're going to say, we're going to order alimony for 60% of the length of the marriage. So it'd be six years. Well, you know, I don't think anybody would be offended by that concept, but right now the court would be reluctant to do it because it's not there in the statute and the case law um, doesn't really support it. Uh, I had a case where a judge did that and the other side appealed it, the court of appeals upheld it, but then they didn't publish it. So mm, it's not, not right. law. Um, another one is uh, called transitional alimony. Well, I, I hate to Go stop ahead. you there. Do you feel that the Court of Appeals, maybe on purpose, they didn't want to set that precedent, and this was just they, case by case, they felt they could let this one slide? I mean, I've seen it in criminal cases uh, on the appellate level where you'll get a reversal that's not reported, and, you know, everybody has their opinion. I know this is a recorded podcast. So. Well, you're, you're asking me to step into the minds of the Court of Appeals uh, that ruled on that case. And, and I don't know what they were thinking other than the fact if they published it, it's probably going to get a lot of attention. By not publishing it, it right. goes under the radar. Exactly. And it was the right result in that case. And they, they actually did change it a little bit. My client was ordered to pay two years of alimony, and my uh, the court upped it to three years. But there's really not a perfect fit for that under our statute. And um, so it would, it'd be nice to give the judges more tools. I would like to empower the family court judges to have more options. Um, there's another form of alimony called transitional alimony. But let's just say, you know, two folks get married in Ohio. They move to South Carolina for one of them to go to work and it doesn't work out. You know, I mean, some things just don't work out. Well, if it's a four, five, six-year marriage, you certainly don't want to order somebody to pay permanent alimony in a situation like that, unless there are maybe other factors involved. I mean, let's just assume it didn't work. You know, it's, nobody's a horrible spouse. There's no you know, physical cruelty, adultery. Just, a, just, just didn't work out. Well, you know, maybe the person wants to go back to Ohio. Well, couldn't we order some transitional alimony to help get them from South Carolina back to Ohio, get them on their way? One spouse isn't saddled forever. The other spouse gets a little help. Well, right now, I'm not so sure the court's I mean, there is this catch-all, right. anything that the court deems just and proper, but you know, I'm I think sure the most will. famous case of that, and everybody loves purient stuff, is there was a case where the husband gave the wife herpes, and as a form of alimony, he was required to pay for the treatment <laughs> going forward. Um, right. But, you know. Gotta there, love this business. Yeah, no. <laughs> only in this business. That's funny. <laughs> Dull in family law. Never. <laughs> Although I will say, I'm sure there's a lot of divorced people who would pay money to have their spouse leave the state. So I'm sure that, yeah. that, may, get some, <laughs> that may get some traction. All we need is more judges and legislators yeah. getting divorced. And I feel like this would uh, get some traction. So uh, from a criminal standpoint of error preservation with my appellate background, you, you try to put up issues uh, and then obviously you'd have to lose and those issues can be raised on appeal. So is are there family law practitioners who are raising these other types of forms of alimony that get struck down? I mean, how really, other than having a rule change, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand how we're, how we can get there well, unless you have a meeting of the minds. If, if you're right. And that's hard to bring all the interest groups together to agree on what the change should be. And so a statutory change to me would be better. Um, but if you're not going to get a statutory change, then I think it is going to be up to 
up to lawyers to take issues, put them in front of judges, let the judges rule on them, and then if one side's not happy, let's take it up and see if we can't get some more options out there um, so that we can come up. At the end of the day, as lawyers, I think our job is to, to try to reach the fair and just result. Now, that's easy to put in a simple sentence, but hard to do. In my opinion, the more options you have for good family court judges, the closer we're going to get to achieving that, that goal of a fair and just result for both of the parties in the courtroom. Right. you got two advocates on both sides, and right. fair and just is going to – depends on which lens you look through. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think there are, you know, these, these cases where, you know, there's kind of an unwritten rule for some judges that they won't award alimony if it's a marriage of less than 10 years. Well, maybe for a seven-year marriage it does call for something, but there's just not a good tool out there for them to use right now. On the other hand, even if it's a 14 or 15 year marriage, should you have to pay it for 25 years? I will tell you a lot of people, if you talk to people who aren't lawyers and aren't family court, when I tell them that somebody might have to pay alimony for 10 years longer than marriage, they look at me like that is the the worst thing that can be done. That seems unfair to them. Um, Now, you know, that's obviously up to the legislature and the Supreme Court and court of appeals to figure out, but you know, I, I've talked to other folks who seem to, to have some of those same concerns. On the other hand, if it's a long marriage and you've got a spouse who sacrificed their career for the good of the family, permanent alimony may be the most appropriate thing to award. And there are plenty of people out there who can afford to pay it. Um, but I think you want to create a system that gives judges options so that you're not a one-size-fits-all candidate when you go to family court. We're going to try to tailor something for you. How often do you think there is a punitive alimony that's kind of, I would hate to use that word. That sounds very uh, male-driven, but, uh, you know, because if it was a short term of years of the marriage, if a, if somebody was making under 100000 but somewhere around there, I mean, it, the, ex, the exact example that you gave earlier is what I've been trying to kind of bounce in my head, and, and I could see where that would be a, a quite a detrimental problem because with the perfect example that you gave, I would imagine financially, like you said, both sides are going to be, there's going to be a big detriment. Yeah, yeah, you know, punitive alimony makes everybody's skin crawl a little bit because it's not to punish. There's case law that says alimony is not to punish. I would, I would guess there are plenty of people out there who would contend that what they've been ordered to pay was punishment. And right. Now, mm-hmm. some of that might be you know, the lens they're looking through. That sure. may not be an accurate lens. Um, are there people that were ordered to pay alimony that, has gone on longer than than maybe people would think is fair and appropriate. I, I'm sure there has been I mean, um, situations like that. Under the law, of sex offender registry is not punitive, but as a criminal defense attorney, I would certainly say it's the modern day scarlet letter. <laughs> that would be yeah. a punitive. <laughs> to me, it's a punitive action, but uh, the laws, what it is. One thing, one thing, the listeners, um, some may know, some may not know. In South Carolina, for child support, we have guidelines. You plug it into a calculator, and unless your income's go above your gross incomes go above a certain threshold it's going to be what it's going to be it's going to spit out a number and the judges have to use it but alimony doesn't have that you know we have no calculator which is how vance got frustrated with it right and that's what amber's trying to turn the conversation to and that is i I did my mom's a math teacher so i i think i view the world um through that lens to keep using that term and she you know wanted to have things make sense she wanted there to be a reason and wanted formulas and so what I did was I took all the alimony cases that were reported, um, put them on an Excel spreadsheet, 
I say I did, with the help of a lot of really good law clerks and associates over the years, took all these alimony cases and took all the quantifiable factors. You know, how long were the parties married? Was there fault in the divorce? How much did the husband make? How much did the wife make? Was there child support? And how much was it? Um, what was the need based on the financial declaration? We, you know, put these things on a spreadsheet to try to, to look to see if we could come up with a formula for alimony so that there, the person in one situation would pay the same thing and someone with a similar situated situation. And it turns out that it, it doesn't really work that way. The Court of Appeals and Supreme Court have made it very clear that as long as you fall within a range of what's fair, they're probably not going to disturb it. And as a result, you, you, you don't have you don't have a formula for alimony. And I don't know that we'll ever have a formula. Um, tax law is about change. We'll probably touch on that in just a minute. Um, that's a radio tease. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he's the professional. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But, um, you know, if there was some type of at least guiding principle as to how long is the alimony going to be based on, you know, certain factors like length of marriage, maybe even include fault in some of those decisions uh, or presumptions as to how long it should be that could be overcome if somebody's really a bad person. And, and I mean, I've always said, you know, if it's a two-year marriage and you push your wife in front of a train, you should pay all money forever, you know, if they, assuming they survive. Right, injury, right. You know. Um, so you got to do it right. You know, so I, I think every situation needs to have its own, um, its own. And um, if they don't, they hire me. Exactly. Right, right, right. Look, everybody listening, if you're more interested in the alimony part, you hire Vance and Amber. If you're more interested in the criminal part, we're talking about you hire Dick. That's and disclaimer, <laughs> we're not suggesting anybody push anybody. No, of course not. Okay. No. Please don't. Uh, yeah. So there's going to be exceptions. And, and so, but you can create presumptions. You know? Right. And, you know, maybe the long, and certainly the longer the marriage, probably the more realistic it ought to be, the longer the alimony. Um, so you could create, um, if you wanted to, a system that said, okay, if it's a you know a zero to five year marriage, alimony will be forty percent. This is what Massachusetts has done, you know, forty percent of the length of marriage, five to ten, fifty percent, ten to fifteen, sixty percent, fifteen to twenty, seventy percent, anything over twenty, presumptively permanent periodic alimony. So you you can create those kind of systems, and they've done in other states. You could create a formula, you know, you could say, and and you know, there's always rumors about how judges calculate certain things. You know, there's always the you know, what does the paying spouse make? Subtract what the recipient spouse makes. Multiply that times the length of marriage as a decimal. Okay, there's no, there's no, that's not reported anywhere, but I know some folks take a look at it. So you could, you could generate things to make it more consistent. There are cases that talk about alimony should be, you know, or the way the alimony worked out, it ended up being, you know, 0.23% of the difference between the spouse's income. And so some, you know, I think judges look at that number and then work off of it. The, the problem that we're approaching and, you know, sort of the we're, we're headed toward the cliff and, and get ready because we're going to go over this cliff at the start of the year is that alimony traditionally has been taxable, deductible. The person who receives it pays the taxes on the alimony. The person who pays it deducts it. It's like taking income and shifting it from one person to the other. Some people have called Which is it, log- logical. It, it, it certainly is. And thanks to our um, uh, tax change that we had, um, it's going away. So some people call it a tax loophole. It's going away. Some I think people if you have a it, private jet, you can write that off. Yeah, I think that was part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you might be able to. And so the the problem that we're going to have starting January 1, 2019, 
for the cases that are dealt with and decided then. You can be grandfathered in. If you're already paying alimony, you can be grandfathered under this old system. If you have started paying alimony right now, even if it's temporary, you may be able to take the position that it should still be taxable, deductible, disclaimer, nobody knows for sure yet, but there are some IRS cases out there that would make you think that that perhaps would be the case. But if you're new, if it's a brand new case starting next year, it's going to be like child support, to go back to what Amber said. In other words, if you pay $5,000, you're paying $5,000. You're not taking it as a deduction. And the real problem is it, it, the old system, the one like that we're under now, <laughs> is it, 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 it makes it a little bit easier. If someone knows that I'm going to have to pay, and I'll use $10,000, I'm going to have to pay $10,000 a month in alimony. But it, because of my tax bracket, it only cost me $6,000 real dollars a month. The wife... And I hate to stereotype, but that's more often the way it is in these cases. You're in Lexington County. You know. <laughs> so the recipient spouse, to be politically correct, would get that $10,000, would have to pay tax. But they might only have to pay you know, $2,000 or $2,500 uh, worth of tax on that. And so now all of a sudden, you've got the, the, the recipient getting more than what it's really costing the payor. So it, it at least helps bridge this gap. Well, that's going away next year. And that change is going to make it tough. And let's face it. You know, a lot more lawyers are, you know, political science majors and English majors than math majors. This is going to be a tough change. I think it's going to be something that's going to be hard. And I'm going to keep doing my spreadsheets, but the spreadsheets are going to be more useful for the cases that get modified as opposed to the new cases that come around. Well, Vance, as we kind of uh, wrap up, and obviously if anyone has any further questions about their specific case or their specific alimony, I'm sure they can call you or call Amber here at the Moore Taylor uh, Firm, and y'all will be happy to uh, answer uh, the questions there. But we end all of our podcasts with a section we call the cross-examination, where we each give you uh, one question. Um, I'll let Amber lead off, even though we may have already covered it. But, yeah. Yeah. My question was going to be, how do you see the bench and the bar evolving to adapt to the new tax changes to alimony. I think um, struggling like walking through pluff mud. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there anybody at the General Integrity. Assembly who is really trying to have some forward thinking about these implications? Uh, just something I thought of. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're about to go off a cliff, you would hope that there'd be somebody over there at the State House that is going to be our champion. Well, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a federal change. And so there's right. really not anything the legislature can do to affect the, the tax implications. I do think well, not there the are tax, some, but just alimony. In alimony general. in general. I think there are folks that are that are um, downtown looking at it. I know Gerald Malloy, Senator Malloy, um, uh, has has always paid close attention to these issues. Uh, I think Bruce Bannister in the Upstate has paid close attention to these issues. Uh, there are some others that have looked at it, and I think we'll continue to look at it. But this is going to be one of those where I, I think we're going to have to experiment and. It's why it's called the practice of law. Because we're going to sure. get to practice with some some real different facts, and factors next year. Vance, we covered all of our cross examination questions. So the last question I have, to be honest with you, is so be honest with us. What's it really like working with Amber? I mean, I mean that is cool. No, <laughs> that's all right. We can cut her out of this other part of the podcast. Go ahead. It, 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 it is great work with Amber. Once again, I feel very fortunate to have someone who works hard, um, puts forth effort, helps with the cases. And so I would encourage everybody out there who's been around a long time to get an amber. <laughs> <laughs> what, 
what our listeners did not see is Amber slipping Vance a 20. Do you want to say that? So uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to our guest, Vance Strickland. Um, Remember, you can follow us at SC Law Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow me at Joseph P. Bias on Twitter. You can follow Dane at SC Crim Lawyer on Twitter. You can follow our guest, Vance Strickland, at SC Family Lawyer on Twitter. And then, of course, you can follow Amber at Red Judicata on Twitter. Uh, We'll be back next week with a different guest. If you have any questions, you have any suggestions, you can always email us at directexaminationpodcasts at gmail.com. So until next week, thanks, y'all. Thank you.